0: Amen. What a blessing. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you, choir, musicians. As you come down, make your way down. We'll get our Bibles out and open to the book of Colossians. We are stunning our way verse by verse through uh, Paul's epistle to the church at Colossae. And uh, we find ourselves in this sort of mini-series in this section of chapter 2 that we're calling Glory Pirates. This will be our second week talking about Glory Pirates and we're just spending some time having a discussion about legalism and uh, making sure that our understanding of the danger and the reality of legalism around us is something that we are not overlooking and not misunderstanding, but that we are uh, vigilant and our minds have been instructed as the Word of God would instruct us with regards to this issue. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your Word, and God, now, as I stand before it, I pray that, Lord, you would use it in our lives as it is intended. It is a perfect and gift directly from you. For us, and we pray, Father, that now you'd give us ears to hear, that our hearts would be prepared to receive, Father, that the ministry of your Spirit would work in such a way that we would be enlightened and that we would be convicted, that we'd be challenged, and that ultimately we'd be changed and transformed from the inside out for your glory. And we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this uh, past weekend, really, um, with the events that happened at the end of the week in Paris. Um, our hearts have been moved. I know that as I watched the news reports from uh, the what was going on in France and the way the, the, the French authorities and the president were responding to the terror attacks that were happening there, um, I'm very... Um, you know, just conscious of the emotional roller coaster that that takes me on, and I assume that it's similar uh, for you. That we we first see the shock and the horror of a, of a terror attack, and our hearts are filled with emotion and sadness. And we, as we hear that 129 innocent people lost their lives, and that uh, 352 have been wounded. Uh, There's still a lot of uh, unknown details about everything that has gone on, Uh, but what we do know is that uh, the majority of that uh, uh, heinous uh, act was perpetrated by somewhere around eight individuals who panned out to various locations around Paris and committed uh, acts of terrorism. Now, let's be clear about what a terrorist is. A terrorist is above all things a coward. And in their cowardice uh, they have committed what they've committed against the French people as we're all fully aware of what that feels like having been through that ourselves, uh, it is nothing short of an act of war. And as the president of France said that this is an act of war, I really, in my heart, just began to think about this conversation that we're having about legalism. And I thought about how in times like this, in moments like this uh, across the world stage, we have this amazing uh, unification in our response to acts of terror in that we almost unanimously agree that we must fight for freedom. That freedom is always worth fighting for. And surrender is never an option. As Americans, we believe supremely that liberty... It's worth whatever the cost may be. Now here's my question for you this morning. Why is it that we believe so strongly in liberty when it comes to our country and we will do whatever it takes to protect our political and national freedom, but at the same time so many Christians lack that same zeal when it comes to protecting liberty in our faith. Why do so many Christians yield to those who seek to steal away our liberty in Christ? The Bible is so clear. The Apostle Paul has told us time and time again as we studied through the book of Galatians, we were confronted with this issue. Here we are again with the Word of God being crystal clear to us about this clear and present danger that is before us. In Colossians 2, verse 18, Paul again warns us. This will be the third warning that we've received directly in this chapter where he says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Very clear warning from the Apostle Paul. We said... uh, Last week that legalism, the definition that I'm using, the, the, the most simple, clear, concise way I think we have to put it is the attitude that I can establish or improve my standing before God by what I do. This is legalism is not simply rules, because not all rules are legalism. So if you if your understanding of legalism is simply rules, well you, you are misunderstanding. What is that the essence of legalism? Legalism is rules that are designed to trick you and cheat you from the reward you have in Christ by telling you that by certain activities that you perform or things that you do, you improve or will be able to establish a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's simply a... Sneaky backdoor way of creating a either a works salvation or a works relationship with the Lord, and how is this going to be perpetrated? How is legalism going to be uh, sort of pushed on top of us? Well, the only way to create an environment of legalism is to deviate from the Bible and develop your own system of behavior, regulations, whatever it may be that in turn creates this uh, system of works. And the reason why I call this series Glory Pirates is because the ultimate crime of legalism is that at its essence, at its core, what it does is it seeks to steal away glory that is due only to God. Because... One of the ways you can sniff out legalism is that anything that's legalistic will make, uh, will, is man centered. It elevates the position of man and devalues the work of Christ on the cross. And so it in turn will make you believe. That you somehow are responsible for your standing before Christ. You are responsible. that something you did that you somehow deserved or that you somehow earned or that you somehow merit something that you could have never earned. That the Bible is so clear and so concise that it is not by works lest any man can boast. But yet in legalism, it creates a class system. There's no class system in the kingdom of God. There's no second-class children, there's no middle-class, or there's no first-class. There are simply sons and daughters, and the only way a person can become a son and daughter is by the blood of Christ, and everyone who is a son or a daughter is equally and fully and completely a son or a daughter, and the Bible wants us to know that. Now, I want you to think for a minute, about the commonalities between pirates and terrorists. The whole time I was watching the news the last few days, I could not help but think about how being a pirate and being a terrorist are the same thing. For example, pirates operate on the element of surprise, just like terrorists. Pirates target the weak and the vulnerable. Pirates invade uh, your... They, they, they hurt you by coming into your personal space and harming you just like a terrorist. Pirates have an agenda that is advanced by force just like a, a radical Islamic terrorist. And fear, fear is a pirate's favorite weapon just like a terrorist. And so the more I got to thinking about this, the more I realized that really legalists are spiritual jihadists. That's what legalism is. And the shocking thing about legalism is that in the same way, it utterly baffles my mind, and I'm sure yours as well, when we hear stories of, of people who are citizens of our country, who uh, leave their um, university campus or their job or their family or whatever it is to go to the Middle East to join ISIS. And we think to ourselves, what is wrong? What goes on in a person's mind who has experienced the freedom and the privilege of living in a nation like this that would want to... give them that gives them a desire to want to join a radical terrorism organization. And then I think, is it any more insane that someone who has received the absolute freedom and blessing and the grace of God through salvation would then turn and conform their lives to a system of legalism? Remember when we were studying through Galatians and Paul was just in shock. And he said, he, 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 he said, this is my paraphrase. My mind is blown that you would so soon turn away from the grace of God and get tangled up in the commandments and traditions of men. Let me ask you some questions. Let's go back to the beginning. Why did God the Father set His saving love upon you? Why did He do that? Why did God the Son die? you? Why did God the Holy Spirit draw you to faith through sacrifice on the cross? Why? The answer to those questions Is freedom. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That Paul, in addressing legalism, says, Don't you understand that you have been called to liberty? To liberty, to freedom. That the truth, ladies and gentlemen, really will set you free. That Christianity, that's thought of as uh, this restrictive, confining, um, uh, less than life, is, is is a device of Satan, and it is not at all what the Bible speaks of, and that there are millions upon millions of people in our own country that are perishing today, facing an eternity in hell because when they think of church and when they think of the Bible and when they think of Christians, they think of those whom they've been in contact with in the past that represents something absolutely and utterly contrary to what the Bible says. What is this liberty that, that God saved us for? What, what is this freedom from i think we should investigate some of these we should topics and have some discussions and lay some groundwork so that we can protect ourselves from error what has god given us freedom from i think several things number one in christ we have freedom from the condemnation of god's wrath the wrath of god has been satisfied. The song that we just sang before I stood up here to preach, you wouldn't know this because we love that song. It's one of my favorite songs. We, you are always moved when we sing that song because it's an incredibly biblical, amazing, wonderful song. And yet it is one of the most controversial songs of our time. Many churches will not sing that song. There was a time uh, several years ago when uh, churches began altering the words to that song, and the writer of that song, uh, Keith Getty, actually issued a statement saying that it is illegal to alter the words to his song, his copyrighted material, and that if you would not sing his song the way it was intended to be sang, then simply don't sing it. What is so controversial about that song? Why are so many churches bent out of shape about that song and refuse to sing that song? Because there's one line in that song that people don't want to sing. And it says, the wrath of God on the cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. What is controversial about that? People don't want to believe that there was the wrath of God, that God has wrath. They want to believe that God is simply a God of love and He doesn't have wrath. And that that the death of Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't satisfy His wrath. But this is the, the state in which we live in. And so we need to understand, if you don't understand that you've been freed from the condemnation of God's wrath, then the pathway to legalism is wide open. That the, the, You could just usher yourself right in because you don't know what you've been freed from. Which is why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that there is now, therefore, now, therefore, no condemnation. Meaning that it hasn't always been that way. But now, because of what Christ has done on the cross, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. yes. Secondly, we've been freed from the compulsion of sin. There's a, a line in that psalm that says that no scheme of, uh, of, no power of hell or scheme of man will ever snatch me from his hand. Again, talking about our freedom from the compulsion of sin, that, that, that sin no longer has dominion over us. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, For sin shall shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. There's liberty there. And thirdly, and what we'll talk about today, is that we're freed from the conscience of other people. You see, this, this issue of legalism really becomes an issue for us to have a conversation about. Not so much in the sense that because legalism has many, many faces that on one extreme, there are those who are legalistic to the degree that they change the qualifications to become a Christian. They, 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 it's Jesus plus something to even be saved in the first place. And we just simply slide those over into the category of a cult. Anything that says it's Jesus plus something else in order to become a Christian is heresy, and it's a cult. But then within the confines of Jesus has uh, uh, ushered us all into his kingdom by his grace comes this sort of lifestyle legalism, this legalism where... We go into bondage. People lure us into bondage based on the conscience of other people. Glory pirates are people who are bent on making you a slave to their conscience, to the things that they believe or the things that are, they think are right for them. They want to propagate on other people. So what they do is they've built this neat little religious box. And they strive to stuff me and you into their box and make us conform to the dimensions of the box that they've created. They use a simple set of tools. It's always the same tools. And you can always see those tools at work in a legalistic environment. And they're guilt, fear, intimidation, and self-righteousness. Guilt, fear, intimidation and self-righteousness. Lifestyle legalists will, they'll proclaim God's unconditional love for you. It will sound very similar to the things you hear me say. But then they'll insist on certain conditions before you can be accepted or approved into this elite category of Christianity, this elite circle of God's favored chosen few. And so the goal is always to enforce conformity among believers in accordance with their own personal preferences. And so what happens is people sort of wander into this, oftentimes innocently or unknowingly, get tangled up in it, and slowly it squeezes the life, the intimacy out of their relationship with Christ because they're having a relationship that God never intended for them to have. And so you'll notice things like joy amongst the legalistic group is a, is a very uh, fleeting thing. It's, it's, uh, it, it only comes in small little pockets because legalism will suck the joy completely out of your life because it's based on heaping condemnation on you. Oftentimes in a legalistic environment, people will, uh, will be tangled up in this constant cycle of doubting their salvation, always feeling condemned. There will always be these uh, guilt-laden calls to to conform. And every time you conform to one thing, there will be another hoop to jump through and another hoop to jump through. And the victims of this sort of uh, Christianity or so-called Christianity live in fear. They're constantly in fear of doing something that would... Be seen by other Christians as unholy. They live in fear of what other people would think of what they're doing. And so they will not do something that they have perfect liberty to do because they're afraid that someone might see them and that they would be seen as unholy or unspiritual. And even though the Bible's silent on the issue, they live in fear, terrified of incurring someone's disapproval, disdain, or rejection. Or worst of all, in most extreme situations, they fear God's rejection of them. That somehow they're now distant in their relationship, if they have a relationship with God, because they violated some tradition, or some cultural norm that has no basis whatsoever in Scripture. Now, I understand legalism, and I also understand that legalists never see themselves as legalists. They would listen to everything that I'll say today. They would listen to this message and nod their head for the most part, except for when I get specific, they'll nod their head and think, amen, that I'm talking about someone else. I have never had anyone confess to me that they are a legalist. We've got a church filled with people who have been freed from legalism and we're very grateful and thankful for that. But no one's ever came up to me and said, You know, brother, I I think I'm a legalist. They just don't. They don't see it. So how do you know if you're a legalist? Well, I, I, I designed a little test that we can take together. It's real simple. I just have five simple questions, and these questions will tell you whether or not you are a legalist. You don't have to answer them all uh, yes or all no, but if some of these kind of ding, set off a little bell with you, then you've got legalistic tendencies, or you may be fully, uh, if, if two or three of them ring your bell, you probably have some work to do spiritually. So let's take the test together. Question number one. Do you place a higher value on church customs than on biblical principles? Do you find yourself sort of confusing things? Like you, when you talk about customs uh, and, and, and ways that you do things the same way you would say something that's actually mandated in Scripture? Question number two. Do you elevate the status of moral law to something the Bible does not require? Do you take something that the Bible does say and then sort of bump it up, you know, ramp it up and give it some extra teeth, you know? A lot of the way people do this is they'll say, well, here's what the Bible says, and then in our culture, and so they'll they they they'll twist it around saying to make it relevant to us today, here's what But really, that's not what it says. We should just read the Bible for what it says and obey the Bible in what it says. Number three, do you see people as less spiritual if they don't follow God's will for your life? (laughs) Parents of grown children... Just go ahead and take a big gulp. That one's for you. I'm with you. Number four, are you uncomfortable that the Bible does not address every ethical decision or answer every theological question? Does it bother you? Are you the kind of person who just desires to have just... Absolute clarity. You want direction on everything. And so when somebody says, well, you have freedom in that area, it just bugs you. You don't like that. And so what happens? A legalist starts reaching into places that the Bible didn't intend and starting to pull things that vaguely sort of represent that to try to make some sort of a dogmatic position or case which simply won't work. Number five. Are you more comfortable with rules than you are with relationships? Or maybe you could say it this way. How do you do in relationships that don't seem to have clear-cut rules? See, sometimes we have to love people in their mess just in their mess we have to love them. And a legalist, a legalist can't stand that. Step one for a legalist is you got to start changing right now. Right now you got to start conforming. You cannot, you cannot be uh, messy. Now think about all the issues. You know I really struggled this week because you know it's it puts me in an awkward position because no matter what I say I'm likely gonna hurt somebody's feelings but at the end of the day it's really not about what you think about me it's about am I being obedient to God and so this is what I did I I prayed Monday morning that God would allow me to experience this week and interact with some people who are struggling with legalism and I would use as my illustrations in this message those people so that I wouldn't just pick and choose and reach back into the past and and you know so I said God that way you decide what I'm going to say. So who you bring into my life this week, the conversations and people that I intersect with will determine that which I say. Now I had no doubt that I was going to intersect legalistic environments because it's just how God works and because rarely does a week go by that I don't. And so that's what I did. I thought about um, all the issues that are before us, all the things that um, don't affect our, accept, our acceptance with God, that, and, and really how they don't pertain at all to whether or not we are a Christian. Yet, uh, we have these things ingrained in us. And when I say us, I mean, I could just point out a few things with regards to Baptists. Let's just throw stones at ourselves for a moment. Are you free as a Christian to watch television? Are you free as a Christian to go to the movies? Isn't it interesting how a decade ago In a Baptist church, a movie theater was so incredibly vilified and demonized. And who would have ever thought that a day would come when we have an entire uh, genre of Christian motion pictures? And so what happened? Is it okay now to go to the movies or not? Because before, it wasn't okay to go to any movie at any time at all. So I'm confused. When the Passion of the Christ came out, it was very controversial. Those of you who were in the body of Christ at that time, you remember. And I remember uh, being very excited and renting out a theater. And filling it, inviting uh, young people from public schools to come and to see the passion of the Christ, and being criticized for that. What about? Is it? Are you free to work on Sundays? Would it offend you if you drove down Rebecca Drive one Sunday afternoon and saw your pastor mowing his grass? Would that be problematic for you? Are you free to go swimming with members of the opposite sex? What about playing pool? You are aware that there's a pool table in the youth building, aren't you? Some of you just left the church right now. There's a pool table over there, just so you know. What about playing cards? Are you free to play cards? Where did this idea that we don't dance come from? Now, I get the fact that we can't dance. (laughs) But where did that become wrong? How has that managed to, to, to keep breathing? What about to wear makeup? We've got a lot of people sitting in a lot of churches this morning and on the sign it says Baptist and they would say that you well I'm not even going to use the word that they would call you ladies for the makeup on your face these are all illustrations of matters of conscience if you don't want to dance don't dance but that doesn't have anything to do with me if you don't want to play pool don't play pool if you don't want to play cards fine don't come over to my house and play cards. But that doesn't have anything to do with everyone else. These are issues where the domain that Scripture gives us is liberty. We have liberty. The Bible's silent about these issues. And you have to bend and twist Scripture to make them an issue. And so what happens is people get tangled up in things and Christians insist on elevating their opinion on matters such as this and make them some legalistic ordinance that that really uh, looks just like a divine law when in fact it's not. So what happened to me this week? Well, I got a phone call from uh, an old friend of mine that I haven't talked to in a long time and a wonderful, uh wonderful Christian brother and um, you know just we have great fellowship in the Lord, but uh, his children and my children are close to the same age, and um, they uh, you know attend a different church and a, you know that's uh, just different from us and so, his children and my children would play together a lot when they were small, and they would come over to my house and so one day they were over his children were over at my house playing with my kids and um, I was in the kitchen, and uh the kids were in the den and suddenly their his kids started yelling like. Something horrible had happened and went running down the hall and out the back door into my backyard. And so I went out in the backyard and I said, Are you okay? And they're like, Yeah, but we just had to get out of there. And I said, You know, of course, I, my first thought was, Well, what did Colton do? Or did it smell that bad? Sorry, son, I love you. But then... Then, then I asked them what happened, and they said that, uh, um, well, something terrible was on your TV. I said on my TV, and they're like, yeah. So I walked back in the, you know, I walked back in my house. I go into the den, and my kids are sitting there on the floor playing with something, and I looked at the television, and it was Scooby Doo. <laughs> and I went back outside, and I said, you mean Scooby Doo? And they're like, yes. We're not allowed to see anything that has ghosts or spirits. I said, really? Scooby-Doo? Okay. And uh, so I got to talk to him, ask him how things were going. And uh, I was reflecting on the fact that that's just crazy. Crazy. To me, it's crazy. Now, to you, that may not seem crazy. But to me, that's crazy. Where does that come from? Then, the next day, uh, I got to spend some time with another dear friend in the Lord that I love dearly. Who is a a wonderful, amazing sister in Christ. But who I know uh, attends a church that has some beliefs about some things that are contrary to what the Bible teaches. And so, as I was spending time with her, I had the opportunity to ask her a couple questions. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not asking you this, I'm not being judgmental, I'm just simply curious, I'd like to know your take on this. So, do you mind if I ask you a question? She said, no. I said, I noticed that, You're wearing pants. And as soon as I said that, her countenance changed. And I said, Listen, I'm not condemning you, I'm just asking you a question. You go to a church that believes it's wrong for a female to wear pants, but every time I see you, you're wearing pants. And she said, yes. And I said, why? Why is it wrong for you to wear pants? And you obviously don't believe that it's wrong. But then why do you submit yourself to something that you shouldn't be submitting yourself to? Unless it's just that you want to. That's why I'm asking and she said well the Bible says in Deuteronomy 22 which I knew she was gonna say because everyone who is caught up in this says the same thing the Bible says in Deuteronomy 22 that a woman should not wear something that pertains to a man and I said yes it does say that I said do you know what else it says in Deuteronomy 22 she's like well not offhand I said Well, let me enlighten you. The very next verse commands you, commands you to live in a house with a parapet. And you don't even know what that is. It's a railing on your roof. I said, in that very same passage of Scripture... So, if that's binding, in that same passage of Scripture, go home, open your Bible, and read it. Deuteronomy 22.11 says that we're not to wear clothing with mixed fabrics. But everybody does that. And the verse after that says, that you're to have tassels on the four corners of all your garments. So help me here. How is this one thing binding and everything else in that passage irrelevant? I, I just don't understand. If you don't want to wear pants, don't wear pants. But what has that got to do with everybody else? Why are we changing the Bible into something that it's not? So if you disagree with me and you think Deuteronomy 22 is binding, which it's not, but if you think it is, fine, obey all of it, right? Do it all. It either it all is binding or none of it's binding. But you can't just take one thing out of the whole passage and you go, this is the one thing we have to do here. You better start building a railing around your roof. You better start making sure you're not mixing any fabrics, which means you're going to have to pretty much loom up your own clothes these days. And you're going to have tassels hanging off the four corners of whatever you're wearing. It's just a strange thing. So why would anybody want to be a legalist? I don't know. that. What's the lure of legalism? Well, let's just quickly go through this. There's a lure to it. Number one, there's predictability. In other words, there's comfort in knowing uh, what to expect. In other words, just tell me the rules and let me follow them. Just give me the just just give me the rules tell me what to do and I'll do that so that you know I, I, I don't have to think about it i don't have to I, I can just operate I don't have to pray about it i don't it's similar to people who do jail ministry encounter people all the time who are incarcerated who don't want to be free who get out and just commit a crime to go back in because they like to be incarcerated because they don't have to think about anything they don't have to work they don't have to they get fed. They have a bed. They, they get so accustomed to the predictability of the, that they would rather that. So as crazy as that may sound, there's a sense where the predictability of legalism is allured. Secondly, pride. See, legalism gives you an opportunity to feel really great about yourself. Because if you're a really good rule follower, then you can just puff yourself up and feel like, wow, look at me. I'm doing great. Thirdly, legalism lures us in by control. It makes you feel like, wow, I'm in control of something. I'm in control of it. I'm able to do this. I can control it. And then lastly, company. Misery loves company. And so if if you're miserable and, you know, you, you aren't allowed to do something, because your family thinks that that's wrong to do, then what you want is other people who aren't allowed to do that too to be around you because because people who have the liberty to do that drive you crazy. So you want to just be together in your legalism and have sort of this legalistic togetherness. And so the apostle Paul says in verse 18 of chapter 2, let no one cheat you of your reward. It's cheating you. how? Taking delight in false hum- humility and the worship of angels, intruding on those things which have not be- been seen and vainly puffing up by a fleshly mind. Well what is that what are we going to get cheated of? What's the reward we'll get cheated of? Well that was last week the fact that the, that the Apostle Paul said in verse nine that for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you're complete in him you're cheated of the opportunity to live in completeness in Christ, which is the greatest blessing of being a Christian is that you're complete in Him, that you don't have anything to stress about and worry about with regards to your standing or position with God. That this false humility where people pretend to have a higher special road to gain access to God, that, that, to be, that, that you can have this uh, advantage over other people by behavior modification and, have, and be closer to God or more loved by God, it, it, it's just false humility. It's, it's not real. And acting humble but being actually prideful in your humility, that you're so humble that you're really, it's just masquerading pride. The worshiping of angels, why does Paul bring that up? Well, because it was a huge problem in Colossae. It's a huge problem today. People are running around uh, worshiping angels and all sorts of other strange, mystical things. That's why he says, notice what he says, intruding into those things which have not been seen. You know, that's the great tool of legalism. Why? Because there's, you can't verify anything. It's, you haven't seen it. It's all experiential. You see that legalism takes on all sorts of crazy facets. So if you haven't experienced what I've experienced, then you're not a Christian. So if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not saved. The the proof of salvation is speaking in tongues, people would say. Really? And that's where? Or you don't have the second baptism of the Spirit, you see? Again, you're incomplete. And so you've got some people that are more spiritual than other people. So there's this hierarchy. And what's it based on? Things that are unverifiable, these unseen things. They're all of these sort of uh, mystical experiences. And so if you don't experience what I experience, well, then you're different. And so when I hear people talking about, well, you know, God told me this and God told me that. I'm, I'm like, well, okay, now, how do you know God told you that? Because if I say God told me something, then what I mean is I was reading the Bible and God told me something. That's what I mean. If the Spirit of God tells me something, then I'm going to the Bible to go, God, was that you? That's how you know. If you take away the standard, the plumb line, then what's going to happen? You're going to have chaos? Well, you're going to have mysticism, which simply is defined as seeking spiritual reality apart from truth. Anytime you're seeking spiritual reality apart from truth, you're involved in mysticism. So the antidote excuse me, the antidote for legalism is freedom. So three more things before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Very important, about freedom. Let me give you some truths about freedom. Number one. The Christian is never free to do what the Bible forbids. You see, if you take liberty to that extent, that's license. That's what Paul's warning against in Galatians 5. Believers never have the right to, for example, engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, to lie, to cheat, to steal. You never have the right to do that because the Bible expressly forbids that. And so there's no liberty to do that. You sure you got that? Number two, God never intends for the Christian life to be dominated by fear, guilt, or intimidation. So if I am living my life as a Christian under this uh, spirit of fear or guilt or intimidation, that's not what God intended. That's not what God intended. So something is wrong. God wants you to delight in Him. He wants you to delight in Him as your Father. And then thirdly, the main expression of freedom is always love. Always. Always love. The main expression of freedom is love. No one's freedom is more important than the spiritual well-being of a weaker brother or sister around you. You see, and so... I'm not gonna exercise my liberty to the demise of a weaker brother or sister. I'm gonna love them and serve them in love, in my liberty. I have the liberty to conform for, for their sake, yes. But you, you've got to understand that freedom is always expressed in love. So Paul says in verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. So you can be cheated by these things. And, he says, not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with its its increase, which is God. What does that mean? Who, Who is the head? What does the Bible say about the head that knits us all together in the body? Romans chapter 12. So we, as brothers and sisters, being many are one body in Christ. Christ is the head. That the way to understand what it means to be a Christian is to, is to centralize your life around Jesus Christ. To make sure that your understanding of what you're experiencing and who you are and the way you relate to the people around you and the way you worship and the way you love and the way you serve and all the things you do are around and grown and knit in together in Christ because He is the head. And so this morning, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And in celebrating that, we will, we will specifically respond to the body and the blood of Christ, which has enabled us to be the people of God that we are. And it's not complicated. It's His broken body and His shed blood that paid the penalty for our sin that makes us acceptable in His sight and has freed us to live in the liberty that He died to give us. God has given us this gift in His Word. It's such a gift. And so if you don't understand, if you're not sure... Just simply pick up your Bible and look in the Word of God. Seek out godly counsel and say, what does the Bible say about this? And and receive that godly counsel. And so many times I'm able to, to, to look into your face and say, you have freedom there. You have freedom there. The Bible doesn't say specifically go left or go right here. You have freedom. So exercise wisdom. And if you say, well, what do you think? I will tell you what I think. But I'm not going to tell you what I think as if it's the Bible. I'll say, you have freedom. And if you ask me, I'll say, well, here's what I would do in that situation. But you don't have to do what I'm going to do. You have freedom. So this morning, are you experiencing freedom in your relationship with Christ? Are you at a place in your life where you, you, you wake up every day in the midst of a crazy world filled with horrible things and, 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 and in evil all around us and pain and suffering beyond our ability to comprehend and yet joy fills your heart that I'm saved. I'm saved. And that whatever else happens, I am saved. And nothing can change that. Nothing. Nothing. That ISIS can't take that away from me. Natural disaster can't take that away from me. Cancer can't take that away from me. Bankruptcy can't take that away from me. Disappointment and pain and hurting and suffering cannot... I am saved. I belong to Him. Not because of what I've done, but because of what He's done. And so to celebrate this is to say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done on my behalf that I'm saved that this morning if you if you can't say that it's just simply you saying god i know you've been calling me and i'm here to say yes lord yes save me help me to know every moment of every day that i belong to you and that nothing can ever change that and if that is true then respond to him in gratitude and don't listen when you watch the news and you get fighting mad about liberty? Praise the Lord, God made you that way because He saved you for liberty. That's why you respond that way when someone encroaches on your liberty. Let's stand and bow our heads. Father, we thank You this morning that we're able to be together, Lord, in liberty. And Father, thank You for Jesus Thank you for the gift of your son on our behalf that we might be able to know you as sons and daughters. And now, Lord, we want to respond to you. In a few moments, we're going to partake of your table. We're going to respond to your broken body and shed blood and the great gift that you gave on our behalf. And so, Lord, in this moment, we say, Lord, right now, help us to respond to what we've heard. Free our hearts from legalistic tendencies. Open us up to the reality of who you are. Help us to respond rightly and directly to you. Father, we want to know you. We want to be free in you. Set captives free with the good news of salvation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.